anytime. What, what am I saying? I'm Mark <laughs> this is um, Mark Brzecki, and you're listening to The Great Divide the Great Podcast. Divide. Hi, this is Mark Brzecki, and you're listening to The Great Divide Podcast. That's perfect. Perfect as usual. Okay, everyone, welcome to episode 24 of the Great Divide podcast. This is Tom in America, and I am here as always with Svein from Norway. Hello. Hello, Svein. How was the weather Hello, in Tom. Norway today? The weather. Oh, my God. Let's not go down that route. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No small talk. We're just going to jump right into it then. Um, we've got a really interesting show for you guys today, a really cool show, and it's going to be about the artwork of the Big Country Studio albums, um, the, nine al- the nine studio albums that they've released. And we were, we were planning on doing this before, but it's kind of turned into something even more than what we had originally envisioned, which was just us talking about it. We were able to find, thanks to a lot of you guys out there on our Facebook page, the guy who was responsible for designing the artwork for the first three big country albums, The Crossing, Steel Town, and The Seer. His name is Julian Baum. And thanks to you guys and your great community detective work on the Facebook page, especially to Alan Smith, who finally found the guy's name. Yes. We were, yeah, we were able to find him, um, contact him to see if he was interested in an interview. He was, and he was very kind, gave us a lot of his time and a lot of really cool insights into the design of all this stuff, including the Big Country logo and, by the way, including the Wonderland EP, which he also did. So um, we had a great discussion with him. We're going to be starting that out, starting the show out pretty much with that discussion, and then we'll be following that up with our own discussion about the album sleeves and our interview. But uh, what was it like for you, Svine, when we were talking to this guy who who had designed these really for us are like iconic pieces of artwork? It was very surreal. Um, and the thing is, he was really hard to track down. Like like uh, like Tom said, we didn't know his name. So if you look in the sleeve notes of these albums that he did. You will see credits like original sleeve by JB, or it says sleeve by JB and Q Branch. So that's not a lot to go on. So we started <laughs> digging, and I think Bruce was the first one who said, oh, that was a guy named named Jules. Yes. And we didn't know if it was J-O-O-L-S or Jules or what it was. So we started with that. And uh, that's when the whole Facebook uh, the detective thread started, and everybody pitched in, and eventually the name came up. And... Uh, we were able to contact him, find his website, and and get him through there. And uh, he was up for it. He um, seemed to be a busy gentleman, but we did manage to get a time and sort of grabbed it. And uh, I think he was up to do a part two in the future. So that that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And and when we first got him on the phone or on the on Skype, really is what we were what we did the interview with. Um, he had about we we weren't sure how much time he could give us, so we were hoping for you know a certain amount of time and. I asked him how much time he had, and he said he had about 20 minutes. So we thought, oh, man, because we had a bunch of questions <laughs> ready for him. But of yeah, course, and this, and this it, is exactly the thing I sometimes make fun of you, that uh, uh, he said 20 minutes, and I, I just go, oh, no, and that's sinking feeling. And meanwhile, <laughs> Thomas, uh, oh, that's great. You know, <laughs> no, that's not great. That's horrible. But he ended up actually sitting for 45 minutes. So well, I, I had a feeling that he might give us more than that if as yeah. we went because I, I felt like – he doesn't know who we are. He might think we're just a couple of nuts, you know, talking about big country. And we but, are. And we are. But I thought, you know, as we spoke with him and as we talked to him about it, maybe he would warm up more to us and he would give us more time, which yeah. is exactly what happened, you know. Exactly. So, so I didn't want to come out and say, 20 minutes, what? 
we have all these questions for you. So yeah, that was yeah. that was definitely me at my diplomatic best. But um, <laughs> you did good. Uh, well, thanks. But well, yeah. so thanks to all of our listeners too for the ones who especially who helped with this because this is thanks to you that we've got him as well. So we won't uh, say much more except we'll play the interview and um, we'll come back after it. It's about a 35, 40 minute interview and uh, we'll talk about it and then we'll start talking about our favorite big country album covers from the crossing through the journey, what we think of each cover and each uh, kind of corresponding design scheme that, that went with each album. So with that, we bring you Julian Baum. Hello, is this Julian? It is, yes. <laughs> Julian, hi, this is Tom. How are you doing? Not bad. Sorry, I'm totally unused to speaking to a computer screen, so bear with me. <laughs> I know, believe me, it took us a while to get used to it, too. You, you, you sound great. Your voice is coming in loud and clear. Good, that's what we like to hear. Yeah, definitely. How about, how about on your end? Are you hearing me okay? Yeah, I've got you just loud and clear, yep. Fantastic. And, and on the line with me, I have my, uh, my co-host, Svein, from Norway. Hi, Julian. Hi, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah, good. looking forward to this. Thank you so much for hooking up with us. No, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, we, we really do appreciate it. It's a big thrill for us. And uh, yeah, it's great. It, it, it was quite an interesting um, achievement to, to find you and to get in contact with you. So. Well, I was going to say, you did, a, you did a really good job because obviously the band have forgotten who the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Bruce remembered your first name. He he did know right. your first name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, well, we appreciate the time. And, and do you have a um, – before we get started, I just want to know if you have a time limit that we should um, pay attention to because obviously we don't want to keep you on here all night. But, you know, sure. We yeah, I, I mean um, I, th I think we're good for 20 minutes, half an hour. Does that sound right? That if sounds good. That we sounds fine, yeah. Let's limit ourselves to seven o'clock, and then <laughs> if we're still here at seven, then we, we we'll we'll shut up. <laughs> that that's great. That's fine. And whatever you want to, you know, anytime that you need to cut it loose, feel free to let us know. So we've we've got a lot of questions for you. So that's good, that good. for us. Yeah. So that's good for us to know off the bat, so that we will uh, whittle those down to the most important ones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess the first question would be. You know, taking it back to the very beginning, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time and was was becoming an artist and being involved in the music industry as well. Something you always wanted to do. Do you remember when you first developed? Yeah, it, yeah. it was always it was always going to happen, um, you know, right from the, the moment I started at what we call secondary school, which is sort of the age of 11. I was hell bent the minute I, I went. Uh, the minute I, art classes were the class that you're always supposed to mess around in but I just really liked it and it was also a sort of golden era of album sleeves if you can imagine growing up in the late 60s early 70s you know that's when the 12 inch vinyl sleeve was at its sort of peak you know people yes. like Gnosis were where every school, you know, were, were, were my sort of heroes growing up, you know, getting the new Led Zeppelin album sleeve or whatever was like a real big deal, you know. So, um, yeah, so, so it was something I always wanted to do right from the get-go, which, of course, actually made life very simple because it meant I had to take the, a certain amount of exams to get into art school, and then from art school I had to do this and da-da-da. So the path was kind of laid out, really. 
question for you, actually. Sure, uh, sure. See if it, I, I was suddenly realised that the very first single sleep I ever got to do was for Stiff Records. <laughs> and, that, was, that was my next question about your you joining Stiff Records. Right, but the funny thing about that Stiff Record, that that very first single sleep was that there was a member of Big Country on the sleeve. Really? Can you name that single? Ah, was it the Skids? Nope. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, this is pretty obscure, but some of your some of your listeners might might know it. But basically, Pete Townsend did a very strange single in 1979. Okay. Whereby he had a 13 year old girl do the vocals on it, and the single went out as Peppermint Lump. <laughs> I have not heard of that, I must admit. But I'm thinking maybe it was Tony Butler or Mark Brzezicki on the on the cover. It's Tony. Okay. And um, Wow. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how it came back to me. But, um, yeah, so, so my first encounter with Big Country was actually much earlier than the band getting together. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I knew he played with Pete and him and Mark both, so that's... That's right. But yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of that uh, that single. I'll have to go check that out now. Sometimes he smiles, sometimes he don't. Just drinks up his tea and eats up his toast. But when I feel sad, he always tells me to look for the sun. Now don't you worry, be happy, peppermint lump. <laughs> uh, Stiff weren't in a very good place at the time, A and R wise, and that, that wasn't a goal. <laughs> oh man! Well, Swan, do you, you want to just go back and forth with the questions? Do you want me to take another one? Feel free to jump in. No, you can go ahead. Okay. Well, Julian, um, I guess let's talk a little bit before we get to the big country stuff. You know mm -hmm. about Stiff Records because. That was a pretty, um, you know, well-known and and interesting label. They they put out records by some really, you know, interesting people. Elvis Costello, The Damned, Nick Lowe, those types of people. How did you yeah. get How did you get involved with them, and and what was that experience like for you? It was it, it was a it was a brilliant place to, to start as well because you know once you'd worked for the likes of. <laughs> Dave Robinson, you could work for anybody, and you know Stiff was Stiff was just one of those places that in the late seventies I, I was a huge huge fan. I I was at college basically I was at the LCP which was a London College of Printing between seventy six and seventy nine stroke eighty. So okay. um, they were sort of very influential on me in, in as much as, you know, I went to five nights of the first stiff tour. Um, I went to five nights of the second stiff tour. My my college thesis was on stiff records, funny enough. And so I just, you know, I was just a complete fan, you know. Um, <laughs> it was great because uh, I, through going to the gigs and what have you, I got to meet lots of people at the gigs and... Um, one of the guys I met on quite a regular basis was the same age as me. It was a guy called Cosmo Vinyl. He was. Oh working. yeah, I he know was, the name. Right. Well, he was working for Ian Dury at the injury at the time, and so you know, I got on very well with him. And there was a young girl who used to used to work for 
for, funny enough, she worked for Alan Cowdroy and Paul Conroy as their PA. And that was a girl called Anne Freeman. And, and she and I got on really well. And one day something happened at Stiff where the boss threw a, threw a complete wobbly and they said, yeah, get somebody in here. Even if we get somebody in for two days a week, just get somebody in here to make sure that all the press ads go out to the music papers on the right day. And bless her, and just turned around and said, "Well, that bloke who was in two days ago, he's pretty good. You know, why don't you why don't you phone him up? Yeah, get him on the phone." <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a I actually worked two days a week at Stiff before I graduated from college, and. I think I was there sort of three three months before I left college. So when it came to my end of year show, I'd actually got full page ads from the Melody Maker uh, Sounds and NME actually on my my uh, college show. So and also whilst I was there, we signed Madness. And um, oh yeah. So I ended up doing Madness's first album cover and their logo with the little M man. That was me. Oh, that's great! Fantastic. So, so I had a good, good time there, uh, but a year was enough. I just want to ask you about when you started working with uh, our boys, so to speak. The story of getting involved with the band and meeting them for the first time. So, uh, how did you each other get introduced to each other? Well, through their product manager at Phonogram, I mean, I'd, I'd left Stiff, gone, gone freelance. My two biggest clients were, well, almost immediately were The Clash and Adam and the Ants. Mm. And as a result, I was working a lot for CBS. And then suddenly I got a call out of the blue, from completely out of the blue, from a guy at uh, Phonogram called Bob Fisher. Phonogram had just got a couple of new acts. They'd got... Um, Tears for Fears, which was who Bob called me about, and I did some work with him for Tears for Fears, and he was so pleased with that. And we we were obviously starting quite a good relationship. So when Big Country signed, it was like, well, you know, come in and meet them. They're coming down from Scotland. Yeah, we'll have a meeting at, at the office. So I can't remember who was in the meeting. I think it might just have been. Might just have been Bruce and and uh, Stuart, uh, but I remember also their A and R man Chris Briggs mm-hmm. being at the meeting. So, uh, and they just I think Stuart had actually come up with a bit of a, an idea for the big country type. You know, he'd come up with this idea of big being wide and country being tall. And that, Interesting. That was kind of the only sort of, um, if you like, hints I was given. Um, they'd already had a photo shoot done with Chalky Davis. So they'd already got their sort of um, plaid shirts together and things like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and Chalky had done a shoot with them. And so I was really... In the process, I would have said I was called in very late in the day in as much as photos had been done. It was There was a, a logo idea of sorts. It was a matter of sort of somehow putting that together. 
So you actually you basically created their logo based on some of the ideas that they gave to you. You are the one who refined that and put that together, I would assume. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Fantastic. Uh, and that very first single, as I say, I did very quickly, but we did talk about the premise of big country because obviously when you first walk into a meeting with a band called Big Country, you're assuming that it's going to be country and Western. <laughs> right. <laughs> a problem they had probably from the very beginning all through that, throughout their career, I think. Gallon hats and, you know, all the rest of it. So when they sort of explained to me their idea of what Big Country meant to them, and, and I don't know now whether I probably, I mean, I don't recall much of what was said at the time, but... I wonder now whether, in hindsight, the whole sort of there was a there was a book publishers in Scotland called Blackies, and Blackies were responsible for doing a lot of boys' own annuals from the from the 30s right the way through. And in fact, actually, it was the publishers, Blackies, or the owners of Blackies, who commissioned uh, a Rennie Macintosh house, very famous uh, Macintosh house in Helensburg, and just the whole vibe of those boys' own annuals. I kind of wonder whether that was something, whether it was some sort of childhood thing of Stuart's, you know, whether that was something that he'd grown up with. I mean, right, I know right. it's part of my, you know, my childhood. Um, so, and they were very, very popular in the 40s and 50s, these, these, these books. <laughs> yeah, so, and that, and that was we were leading into that question because those images that were used throughout the singles and and on T-shirts and those types of things were are really iconic images to uh, to big country fans and really added a lot to kind of the mystery and the sense of adventure of the band. Well, interestingly enough, I think it was probably the first single whose title in a big country, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was the only one we actually featured the band on. My my memory isn't very good. I know that Chalky Davis chewed me out because I cropped the picture so badly. It's <laughs> chewed me out because uh, um, I I remember I put the picture against the background, but it wouldn't fit in such a way. And somebody had something got cropped off. It was really amateur, amateur, amateur. I mean, <laughs> so that would be the Harvest Home single from 1982. They. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're talking to the the big country geeks here who know all of these things. So we we can refresh your memory on big country at least. But it's kind of interesting how how that single, the Harvest Home single, and in a big country single has these uh, maps on it, which was another element along with the boys' manual uh, pictures. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much, yes, parts of that. It, it, Swallows and Amazons wasn't mentioned, but that was another sort of childhood novel that featured maps and things like that. And again, mm. part of that exploration thing, hence hence um, compasses and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. well, it worked perfectly with the music. And I mean, is, is, that, is that something that, that you do with each project that you are involved in? Does the music sort of dictate... Um, what what your initial designs are, or I guess it probably varies from project to project, but yeah, I mean, I, mean, I would say actually, uh, my, my biggest problem with the designer was that I would always be more concerned about the wishes of my client rather than my own wishes, if you know. What I mean. mm -hmm. 
it was a very good, it was a fantastic period to be record sleeves. Uh, nearly my contemporaries were fantastic, but nine times out of ten, their sleeve, their work was about them rather than their bands. And I was always very concerned that uh, my band's character, their USP, came through rather than my wishes, if you like. So, right. which is why I think, you know, a Clash sleeve doesn't look anything like a big country sleeve, and an Adam and the Ant sleeve doesn't look anything like a Tears for Fear sleeve. It's, it, you know, they, they were all very, very different and had their own personality. And I think that's, I've always seen myself as a conduit for, for a band rather than oh, I'm going to come along and do, you know, it's your pink suit. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Never was my thing. So, I mean, I'm really chuffed about, particularly the first album, particularly The Crossing. I, I, I was really, really pleased with that. My, my favourite sort of big country work, if you like, is is the single sleeve for Chance. Mm-hmm. I, noticed that on your, I noticed that on your website. Right, right. Which, which again was was carrying on the boys' own. It was a kind of almost like, well, if you'd if you had a notebook, what would it have looked? Yeah, you know, the field, how would it have looked? You know. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. And then the the, the album sleeve was sort of was more about, well, if you couldn't have your boys' own annual illustrated, you probably just have a plain plain color with a sort of foil embossing on it, and that's exactly was what happened that's amazing well it's such a beautiful simple powerful design and it worked perfectly i think and still is really an enduring image i mean even even in your email to me you said that you had seen someone wearing a crossing t-shirt recently so yeah at the beginning of the year in my local supermarket which was quite unusual the only thing if you like the only compromise we made was to actually have a picture of the band on the back of the sleeve okay um hadn't actually we weren't well we wanted to try and get away without having the band on the back of the sleeve but there was pressure brought in at the last moment so we we did end up putting that sleeve and again it's sort of if you've got this thing that just works in two colors how do you suddenly introduce a picture of the band hence the the idea of it being a sort of I seem to remember it's rendered as a scratching, almost as like a lino cut or something like it that. It is, it is, yep, and it, it, it fits, it fits in. Yeah, so we did all right with that. Um, we did do a set of promotional car, playing cards. I don't know if you've ever seen any, but... Uh, I, I do not have them, but I've heard of them, and I, I think I might have seen them online at one point, but uh, yeah, I was aware that you did that. It's pretty amazing. And they were they were given out to dealers you know, as incentives uh, back in the day. Wow! Wow! And when Bob, I don't know whether Bob moved on to something else or even to another record company, but basically, the big country account, if you like, within the record company, moved to a chap called Andy Murray. I, back in my days at Stiff, he worked at Stiff, and um, Andy took over big country and he came in about must have been a year into the life of the crossing I think maybe as long as that and they'd already put out Wonderland which of course wasn't on the album yeah yeah in, uh, in fact I was wondering if you designed that EP the Wonderland EP cover with the, the deer and that type of thing yeah 
did. And, um, I mean, the whole Wonderland thing was based very much on um, uh, 30s railway posters. Oh, was, nice, yeah. There was a big thing with, you know, sort of a railway, you know, come to Scotland and da 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 and, and they would be very nice. There was an artist called, um, an artist called Brian Cook who uh, did these amazing paintings for railway companies in the 30s and 40s. Mm. That was very much the sort of starting point for Wonderland. But interestingly enough, we did some variants. I don't know if you've seen that. There was sort of like a remix version on Wonderland and what have you where they... Um, I've seen some with different colors, it seems. Yeah. Well, basically, back in the day, you had four... You have you have your cyan plate, your magenta plate, your yellow plate, and your black plate. Right. Yep. And I don't know who it was. It might have been Andy, but somebody said, "Well, how would it be if you printed the yellow plate cyan and the magenta plate yellow?" And so basically, ah, yeah, okay, everything up in the air, and that's actually what he came up with. Interesting. That explains it. Okay made constant but the other three were kind of shuffled around that's you know you've just solved a long-term mystery <laughs> for us like why were those covers different <laughs> well so so moving on to steel town mm. um can you tell us a little bit about how that came about i mean with with the first one you're talking with the band who's releasing their first album they had tremendous success with it and um steel town is a very revered album among big country fans a very dark album do you remember the initial uh, conversations about the art of that album and that whole um, campaign? Not really, but I have to say one of the sort of things that um, I do recall out of that was going up, north, going to Scotland to do the photo shoot. Ah, yeah. Because that, in a way, sort of, I think the photo shoot did happen sort of a fair way in advance. I mean, I think Stuart had obviously got ideas about location and what have you. And um, I think it, it was from the trip to Scotland that I took away, oh, well, maybe we should do this again. You know, it's a fairly natural progression to go from 30s British railway posters to French advertising of the 30s or you know, <laughs> Russian propaganda. <laughs> right. It's all around about the same sort of reference points, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it was actually more the trip to Scotland than the fact that we, you know, we'd done this photo shoot around the, these towers and all the rest of it, um, it, it this industrial background. Because mm -hmm. I think we, we'd done some down at the docks and then then we'd gone to this power station and all the rest of it. There, you know. All I remember, <laughs> the thing I remember most about that trip was the, the minibus. So the band, Ian, the photographer, a bunch of us all in, all in a minibus, charging around Scotland. I think, we'd fl I think the photographer and I had flown to Edinburgh, but we had to go to, to Glasgow. So we were charging all around. And, it, of course, we had to get back in time for our flight home. And the um, minibus copped a flat. Oh, no. And, that, and that's all I remember is being on the side of the motorway with big country. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Well, it's it's, it's funny that you mentioned the word propaganda in in, in your talk about the uh, design of that because it, it yeah. does have that kind of feel to it. it and uh, I was going to bring that up, but um, yeah, it, it does have that kind of old uh, German, Russian, as you say, propaganda, propagandistic yeah. feel to it, but it, it works quite well. I love the color scheme and it just fits the music perfectly. The color scheme was the, the blue and the orange were taken from a, there was an art deco. I mean, the, the, it's so funny because I almost sort of remember the references so well. I mean, yes, sort of the steel thing is, you know, obviously Russian propaganda, you know, Soviet industrialism and all the rest of it. Yeah, the colors from an art, I had a book on art deco. And I just seem to remember this British gas poster from the 1930s, and it, it was predominantly black, but the highlights were sort of blue, this sort of electric blue and bright orange, you know, so again, that's, oh, we can use that. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating, fascinating stuff to hear. Well, I, I mean, I know we're pushing up to seven o'clock. Um, do we have time to maybe just get into the seer quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Because actually, of this, of this, I actually prefer the seer as a sleeve to um, to Steeltown. Um, okay, fantastic. Um, in, in my sort of top three, you know, the crossing comes first, obviously, and then the seer. And I I actually tried painting the picture. I, the, the reality is, I'm not an illustrator. <laughs> I think I exhibited on some of my sleeves, and uh, the. I tried to do the seer first, and it even got as far as being proved. It just wasn't happening at all. It just looked awful. I tried to do it in the flat color style, the same as the relevant thing, but it just wasn't working. And so, um, all credit to everybody involved, we actually went back and and I had an illustrator do the do the eagle exactly as how I wanted it. Uh, and exactly to the same size that I'd done my original painting, but it just looks so much better. And uh, I was really, really happy with that. With that, I mean, he literally just painted the eagle, and then all the other graphics I, I, I did myself. So, but yeah, so I think also by the third album, there was a there was a lot more. A lot more pressure on us to show the band. Actually, I seem to remember we use a lot more photographs with the circles around around that than than we had previously. I seem to remember. Was there a single one world that was a gatefold or something? Or something? Yes, one great thing was was one. Um, yep, that was a gatefold. I think. Uh, how- and there were different colours, and there were live shots of the band inside and things yep. like that. Exactly, yeah. and and they were doing that whole kind of uh, a new image with their with their wardrobe as well, which was kind of a shock to fans. <laughs> they were kind of wearing these big, long flowing jackets and that type of stuff. So, right. yeah, that was a bit. I wasn't sure about that, to be honest. I, I... <laughs> so we can't blame you for the colorful polyester suits. I do remember the days. Yeah, I got sent over these new pictures of big country. Get <laughs> uh, to see the new bit of the big country. Uh, that's great. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned the graphics in this year as well because it, that kind of takes me back to the crossing where you have throughout the sleeve you have uh, little illustrations of compasses again and, and nautical themes and that type of thing. Um, 
so I mean, it, again, it just and even the eagle seemed to fit perfectly with the sort of lyrical direction of the album and the whole mysterious aura of the of that. So right. yeah, yeah, I, I was I was pleased with that. That's yeah, but uh, I I don't know what was I didn't seem I don't seem to remember seeing much of the band at all at that time either. You know. Um, I guess things were sort of beginning to get a bit darker there. Yeah. There was a, there was a lot of pressure on that one great thing to be the sort of, you know, the hit single off the third album. And I'm not sure how that all sort of panned out. And, um, the guy I had been working for at phonogram left and I don't know. Did the band go into some hiatus? I don't know. It just seemed that, well, they um, they definitely continue. They released an album called Peace in Our Time in 88, 87. Right. And, and they, their their career definitely was on a downward trajectory after this year. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously the two aren't related, but... Well, I, mean, I was going to say, we can... We can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As soon as you stopped doing artwork for them, Julian, they just collapsed. It was, was all over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, let me let me ask you this: um, were, were there any rejected ideas for any of these albums that you might remember? Anything that any rejected concepts that may have popped up that maybe got a little bit? But you then know, you it's quite scrapped. interesting because a, a number of people have, a number of people have been asking me lately about this. You know, you got any you know you got any uh, album sleeves that didn't quite make it and all the rest of it and. I'll be honest with you, because of what I said about how I worked with the band, primarily I'm, I'm sort of translating their ideas. So actually, there wasn't any there wasn't any wasted time as regards my coming up with ideas, you know, because right. I'm interpreting an idea that I've already been given. The only sort of changes are going to be, well, how would that look in blue? You know what I mean? It's yep. not sort of, um, you know, I was being asked this about The Clash, and I said, well, you know, I worked so closely with them that, you know, no, I mean, rejected <laughs> 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 ideas because <laughs> they're right. Um, some of them should have been, you know. But... <laughs> so, did you did you primarily get uh, the ideas from the band throughout these three albums, or did it change or become more input from the label or other sources? Actually, the the the, the label were pretty good. I mean, the label were were, were pretty good. Um, no, I mean, actually, once given. Big Country were quite good in as much as having been given the ball, I was sort of allowed to run with it, you know, and um, all the time, you know, yeah, I never had any problems at all, really. I mean, the seer, in a way, I kind of rejected it myself, you know, when I, when I saw, when I saw the, um, when I saw the first chromalin proof, I was just like, mm. that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> Do you still have that anywhere? Might have. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Would love to see it. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, there's a. I keep, I keep. I've been saying this for the last twenty years. There's a. There's a book there somewhere. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, one day I will. I will do it. Promise. <laughs> I would. I would definitely buy it. So. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of us would. Yeah. yeah. 
Fantastic. So can I ask you more on the on the legal side of things? Who owns the rights to these images? Do you own them? Do the band own them? Does the label own it? And do you get a royalty when it's used somewhere? Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I did when I saw the chap in the um, supermarket wearing the crossing shirt. I was like, oh. right. Um, as I understand it, and as most most record sleeve designers understand it, in the context of a record sleeve, the 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 right the copyright, if you like, belongs to the record company. Um, and if a band buys back its album or whatever from a record company, then it's at liberty to use the, the graphics for that. Anything outside of that, anything outside of a, the, the recorded work, the, the um, imagery of my heavier, the, the, the copyright you know, comes back to the designer. Uh, right. How so- many of us are bothered to follow it out? Yeah, and and I have to say, I mean, ninety-nine out of a hundred bands haven't got a, haven't got a clue. They they assume it's theirs, you know. Um, <laughs> deals with with a bane of lives, and and still are, to be honest. I mean, you know, merchandising companies are the worst, the the, the worst thing ever. yeah absolutely nothing but take everything and um, constantly upset the likes of myself I mean I think had I not sort of moved on and uh, you know obviously have a career doing doing what I love to do which is still design not necessarily in the record industry but I'm still working as a designer I haven't yeah, it's the same as my website hasn't been updated in six years. I haven't got time or, or the inclination to follow it up. But the reality is it would be lovely if Ian Grant or Bruce turned around and said, Look, we we haven't got a pot to piss in but it's fifty quid for your travel towards, you know <laughs> it's not that I'm up, you know. Oh, you owe me money. You know, it's not like I'm sort of. Well, shit. no, but you know, your work and and what you've done, which is the reason that we went to the trouble to contact you. I mean, it really added a lot to us as fans of the band, um, listening to the music because those images really tied in so beautifully with uh, with the music that we love. So what you created, mm-hmm. we kind of feel is tied in with our love of the band and of the music. So, right. You know, we really appreciate what you've done and respect it, and it's it's a uh, it's an honor uh, to, to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very kind of you to say, and uh, you know, I'm, 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 it, it's probably only now that you, you know you actually appreciate what you did back then. I mean, I can't believe how much work I did in such a short short space of time. You know, yeah. yeah. Just, just the work for Big Country in that sort of three or four year period would be enough. But the fact that you know there was Tears for Fears, there was Le Monde, there was you know, uh, Adam and the Ants, Paul Young, Psychedelic Furs, you know, there was a whole whole load of these bands that I was working for. So it's great that sort of thirty years later, people go, yeah, well, that actually meant something to me. I mean, I, I do a lot of work these days for art galleries and the old car world, and um, 
I was working for an artist. I was doing a book for him about 18 months ago, and the subject of records, you know, my past and designing record sleeves came up, and I said, you know, I did this and I did that. And he said, what, you did big country? Fantastic. That was my... <laughs> <laughs> if we, he, he, we'd gone to the pub and we're having this discussion in the pub, and when we got back in his car, he'd only got a copy of um, Steel Town on set in the glove box of his car. I was like, oh, right, you, you weren't blowing smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Incredible. So do you think that you get your juice? I mean, you are not necessarily easy for us to find. Uh, and you didn't sign your works with your own name. You used your initials JB, and in one case, even JB and the Q branch. So why the secrecy? Oh, that sounded, it, it was so cool back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Numpty. Um, yeah, my, my big hero was... Uh, or the, the guy that I used to really look up to was a, was a designer called Barney Bubbles. Uh, Barney had been at Stiff before me, and I just idolized Barney. I thought it was great, and anything that was good enough for Barney was good enough for me. Well, of course, Barney had such a distinctive style that he could leave his name off a record sleeve and everybody know that it was one of his. Uh, <laughs> although, although, ironically, the, the guy who runs Barney's blog mistake, mistook one of my sleeves for a Barney sleeve. Oh, wow. Which I confess up a little while ago. But um, So I thought, oh, it would be very cool not to put my name on the sleeves. Back in the day, that was quite a cool thing to do. But, of course, 30 years later, the publishing of several books, you know, means that, um, you know, 1,000 album sleeves. I mean, Christ only knows how many copies of that book they've sold. There's several pieces of my work in there that are credited to designer unknown. Oh, no. <laughs> You're just going to have to put out your own book and make it right. If only to set, put the record straight, you know, on some yeah. of the things that, you know. I mean, other people have been credited to designing sleeves that I was like, well, hang on a minute, I did that. You know? <laughs> Uh, well, like I said uh, in an email, at least in the big country world, you can uh, rest easy there. You will be you will be known now. <laughs> Thirty years we got there in the end. Yes, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, look, I know we've gone over the time, and I'm, I apologize for that. And I really appreciate you know the time that you've given us. It's really been enlightening and interesting. I could talk to you uh, for hours, even just about the Clash, because they are another favorite band of mine, and. And to see that you to see that you had designed Sandinista and Combat Rock, that's amazing to me too. So, <laughs> yeah, other other iconic covers for me. But um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much. And, and as I said, you know, we we really uh, we really respect and appreciate your work. And it was never the same after after those three albums, to be honest with you, artistically. And well, um, yeah, it's it's great stuff. That's cool to hear. And you know, well. We're, Here's the thing. Maybe we can do part two. <laughs> hey, if you're, if you're up for it, I would, I would love to do it. We would love to do it. And see, see what reaction you get to part one, and then we'll... <laughs> okay. Sure, I need to speak to my agent about part two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, forward me that info, and I'll, I'll check in with him or her. But, you know, we, we, we uh, posted that we were doing this on our Facebook page, and we, we got a lot of excited response. In fact, many of the questions that we've asked you came from other listeners. So... Um, um, Cool. Yeah, so they were really interested in it. So yeah, it, it it means a lot to a lot of people. So we we appreciate your time. We really do. Oh, that's cool. 
one other little I'll just add one little thing I just oh please feel free I was actually uh, I started doing I started part time lecturing back at my old college and there was a young lad who was I took on as an assistant a guy called Pete Pete Jones Liverpool lad he came to work for me and he helped me he helped me on the first what was the first single off Steel Town uh, was it East of Eden, I think? It was East of Eden, and we used the compass image. Yes, yep. And he helped me. I remember he helped me do that. He, because um, it was based a little bit on a AM Cassandra railroad poster. Oh, wow. Fence. So, yeah, I think we sort of borrowed a bit from there, a bit from there, you know. So. Oh, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but there, there was a recent release kind of a box set of big country material called the BBC um, oh, live at yeah. the BBC right yeah and yeah. It's, inside it has these beautiful little cards um, and each one is a is one of the album covers uh, the first oh. four albums so Right. Three of the, you know, he's got the Crossing, Steel Town, The Seer, and then the Peace in Our Time album cover, which right. I know you weren't a part of, but yeah, so your work is very heavily featured in that as well. Well, well that's nice to hear. Yeah. Because, you know, the terrible thing is, is that so many of the record companies just threw the artwork, you know, when, with all the sort of, you know, digital thing and all the rest of it, when, when computers happened in the artwork game, it just meant that so much original artwork got discarded. I mean, I haven't got any of the original work from, I mean, I've got, funny enough, I did pull out one of the boys' own annuals that's on my bookshelf. Yeah, um, that's great. That I use for the crossing. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, sadly, I mean, I haven't got any of the, the original artwork at all. So it, it's, Nearly everything you see in the reissue market is having to be copied from original sleeves, you know. So uh, it's, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. And no problem. I know it was a little bit of a of a hassle for you to, for us to arrange this time finally, so we really appreciate <laughs> That's it. Fine. That's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, well, great. And, and you know, if you're interested, I'll send you the link to the show when we're finished, and you can listen Please to it for do. yourself. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll certainly do that. Um, it, it hopefully will be ready within uh, probably we, – we have an episode that we're just about to release here in the next couple of days. Um, right. And then this this one will be our next episode, and we're usually about maybe three weeks apart. So oh, cool. it, it might be three to four weeks down the down the right. road, but uh, but it will be coming soon. So well, maybe, maybe we could do a part two round about Christmas then or something like that. You might get some feedback from – Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, in fact, the, the reason that we got interested in this is that Spine and I wanted to do an episode where we talked about how we felt about each um, album cover throughout the years. Oh. And uh, it kind of sparked our interest. Well, who, you know, because my personal favorite is is probably either The Seer or Steel Town. Um, right. And I began to think, well, who actually did these? <laughs> who was the person who did these? It would be cool to, to talk to them. Couldn't possibly yeah. have been James Bond. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I said, well, it's JB. And then Swine mentioned the Q branch, and I thought, oh, that's obviously just a joke. And so I didn't even pay any attention to JB anymore after that. And and Bruce said your name was Julian, and we put it all together, and another, actually another fan found your name. So anyway. (laughs) It it was group work of the highest order, really. (laughs) It it was. Well, 
we'll let you go. And thanks again. And uh, I'll be in touch with um, with the link to the the episode when it's done. And uh, yeah, if we could do a part two down the road, that would be fantastic too. Great. Okay. All right. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks so much, Julian. Nice talking to you. You too. Take care. Take care. Thank, thank yeah. you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye now. Shut up. Okay, so that was Julian Baum's interview, our exclusive interview with him, and uh, it was great, I think. He, he said a lot of really interesting things that uh, I never knew, and some really interesting insight into the design of the artwork of some of those albums. And as we go through each album, we'll be talking about some of the things he said related to those first three that he worked on. And um, anyway, we really want to thank Julian for taking the time to do that. I hope we can do a part two, because as I'm sure Swine would agree, there are a lot more questions that we that we have, especially after the interview, there were some new questions maybe that popped up that we would love to ask him about. But um, but he did answer a lot of questions that a lot of us fans have had for many years, and um, it was great. It was great. So we really appreciate it. It was a it was a really good coup, I think, for this podcast. Yeah, I think it's a world scoop. I got the impression that not a lot of people have interviewed him before, and that goes back to the anonymity thing. Yeah, uh, we we asked him about why just JB and uh, it might have been cool at the time but I get the sense that uh, he regrets it a bit and actually is happy to be remembered so uh, we'll uh, plug his website here you have it in front of you don't you yeah if you want to check out his website it's vegasdesign.co.uk and that's the name of the company that he owns Vegas Design Associates and if you go there you can see a lot of other stuff he's done he's done a lot of stuff not just big country and a lot of a lot of stuff you probably have in your record collection or CD collection right now I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of the Clash I would I would say that they are close to big country for me as far as being a passion and he's done a lot of iconic clash work too I would as I said in the interview I'd love to just talk to him about that one day so um yeah, Psychedelic Furs, uh, Transvision Vamp, if you remember them. I was surprised to see them. Um, just a ton of stuff, and you'll find a lot of that there, including one of his uh, – he's got a list of his favorite stuff, and in that was uh, the Chance CD – or Chance Single Sleeve, not CD Single Sleeve because that wasn't even a thing at the time. But the Chance Single Sleeve is one of his favorite designs. So check out that site, vegasdesign.co.uk. And uh, you'll find out more about Julian and his and his other stuff, and even some contact information if you feel the need to drop the line and say thank you for the great work that he's done. So we really appreciate it. Definitely. And Julian, we'll be back. Yes, we will be. We plan to be. We hope to be. Yeah. So let's just jump right into the discussion then. Uh, today we want to talk about each of the album covers. We're going to rank our favorites, and we're going to talk about basically what we think about each one. And uh, with that interview as some good context for the first three albums, at least, uh, let's just jump right into The Crossing. The Crossing. I think most of us are really nostalgic about this one it was most of our first album i think it, it was certainly uh, my first uh, so looking at the sleeve um or actually we'll start looking at the credits for each one so this is one of those that says original sleeve by jb and the q branch so we now have cracked that mr we know who mr jb is and we heard the story of the design of this album uh, the band came to the table with a clear direction and lots of the graphic ideas are really the bands, uh, even though Julian helped fulfill them. 
So uh, very interesting for me was that this is the guy who designed the logo, um, even though the concept came from Stuart and the band, and the same was definitely the case for the artwork as well. So um, the artwork, extremely simple. We have a compass, so that fits the themes of the album, which is the theme of exploration, the sense of grand adventure, and especially when added to the maps that they used on the singles. So uh, did you see a lot of the singles, or was it mainly the album for you at the time? I think for me at the time it was the album, but um, I saw I saw a good many of the singles within the within the first couple of years after really diving headfirst into big country. I mean, the first album I really I was just and when you said that I was trying to think did I get the Crossing first or Steel Town and I honestly cannot remember. I believe I probably got the Crossing first, but the first album I really remember getting is is Steel Town. But anyway, mm-hmm. certainly those those uh, pieces that you mentioned really stay strong in my memory that that he used the stuff from the boys own adventure books and um especially the one where they're the guys are sitting there and it says we're the only four left that was one of the ones that really stood out to me and uh i always loved that image and it fit perfectly with the music and yeah i mean you said it it's a it's a very simple design but it's a very powerful design and i think not just the the front cover which is that great logo and the compass and the Kind of the the le- the gilded leaves beneath it, right. um, not just that, but the whole scheme of of the campaign and and the album with all those little bits and pieces in there and the all the little um little snippets of the of the stuff in the boys' own adventure books and all of that stuff just contributed so much to the feel of the music and it really and this is something that I'm going to be thinking a lot about as we talk about each of these because I think the artwork really should reflect. The music, and mm-hmm. in this case, I think it was completely successful. I mean, it, all of the stuff that was used really gives that wide-open sense of adventure and, um, you know, exploration, and that's the way the music felt. So, right, yeah, it was great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, on the album, you hear about the compass of decision, uh, which indicates that we're not just thinking about physical compasses here, even though we have the maps on a lot of the singles, and there clearly is that, but uh, I also get a sense that we're talking about what's in their compass and finding your own way, making the right choices and letting your own compass of decision point you in the right way. So there's an inner thing going on, which is always the case with Big Country. And then there's the outer thing. So it was taken both literally and metaphorically. And that's what appeals to me. There's, you know, either way, it points in the same direction. So they really came into this album with a very strong idea of what they wanted. And it was executed perfectly. Yeah. And I don't know if you share this thing with me that as I discovered more of the singles and the bits of maps and the bits of pieces and there were only four left, I, I got the sense that if you collect all of these things and add all the pieces together, then you get a better understanding of a story behind it or a thinking behind it. So I was always sort of approaching all these bits and pieces, all these releases related to the crossing in that sense. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, you know, if we do get Julian back to talk again, I'd, I'd like to talk even more about his if he remembers his decisions in making those choices, because I think he said in the interview that he had one of those books on his bookshelf. And yes, I, I think in hindsight, I wanted to I should have asked him, what was what is that book? Because I don't know how many boys own adventure books exist. So I'm I'm curious as to the one that he has so that maybe, you know, it would be possible to go out and find one. I don't think they exist here in America. I don't know how to get a hold of one. I know it was pretty much a UK thing. Mm-hmm. Um 
but um, yeah, uh, you're right. And I think your point about the compass is really a good one too, because that that compass does a- appeal to so many different elements of the music. It it appeals to your own moral compass, your what you, things that you choose to do, and as well as just the obvious exploration type of thing. And it has so many layers of meaning to it. So yeah, yeah. To me, the compass has always been an integral element to the big country logo and, and to the whole big country feel. So that being there from the beginning, um, and then being carried over through the years from time to time, and they've really brought it back now. I, that really, uh, that really appeals to me. And I, I really like the story he told and I, that, that was pretty an interesting insight of, of Stuart being there with him in the beginning and sharing what he had in mind for the logo and for some of the artwork and that kind of thing. So it's cool to it's cool to think that Stuart was that heavily involved in it too, and and um, you know that that involved in the initial discussions about it and the initial designs of it, and you could tell he really thought a lot about the image that he wanted the band to portray. Oh yeah, I always had a sense he was there, but it's good to have it confirmed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, and uh, it's it's also clear that these symbols meant a lot to Stuart. So we um. You heard a story about the big metal compass that he uh, had made and put on the iron gates of his home in yeah, Firmland. That's right. So uh, yeah, clearly a very personal uh, anchor there, shall we say, to to him to himself. What do you, what do you think of the logo, the big country logo? That was the the unveiling of the big country logo. What did what do you think of that? It's perfect. Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard for me to imagine any other logo right now. So I have never really put that much thought in it as uh, as came out in this interview that uh, the big should be in short and bold and country very tall. Um, so clearly there's a lot of thinking, and we could dig further into that, and maybe with our larger interview we could have. But uh, no, I I just just thought it looked perfect. I think the first thing I saw it was on the Crossing album cover beneath the compass, so it just made sense. It yeah. just fits perfectly. And of course, we've got the the multicolored releases. Um, I, yeah, I know when and I that, bought mine, it was it was the blue one. That was the main one that was available. But um, yeah, the, all, and the same for me. I think yeah. in Scandinavia and most of Europe, it was the blue one. But uh, looking at the UK, uh, I've heard that the the blue was not necessarily the most common. I hear some people say that the green was the most common, even though the blue one came first. Well, see, the green so, is my favorite, definitely. I don't know about that. You know, I grew up with the blue. So uh, the blue will always be the standard to me. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine anything else. And that's one thing that actually irks me very strongly today, that there is no blue version of the CD available. You know, there hasn't been one since the first CD release. Oh, that's right. The remaster from the 90s was red. That was red, yeah. The, the 30th anniversary 2 CD version is green. So <laughs> uh, the, the 30th anniversary vinyl is blue. But... Uh, as far as CD goes, you can't get a blue CD. So if they released one just blue for the sake of it, I would probably get it because I consider that a hole in my collection right now. I think there. I might have a blue CD. I, I'm not sure, but I possibly I might have one um, because I, I had it before the uh, remasters came out because I'd never, I'd never even seen the green before the 30th anniversary came out. And uh, green happens to be my favorite color, and, and green and gold to me is just an awesome color combination. So right. the, the green and gold really works better for me than the blue and white, even though I love that too. It's it's the iconic version. But um, yeah, I, I love the green and gold. To me, that was the best. But uh, yeah, I'll have, to look at, I'll have to look at my collection and see if I've got the blue cover. I th- 
I think I very well might. So how would you feel about an orange version of The Crossing? Orange? No, I couldn't see that. The reason I'm asking is because apparently there is one. Really? <laughs> so, and uh, there is on Oliver Hunter's Big Country page, there is a picture of a Greek printing of The Crossing, which is in orange. Wow. And I, I actually contacted him and asked him about it. And uh, what he says after checking it again is it's a little less red than the others and slightly more orange, but not dramatically so. So so that may be a case of just being intended as red, but poor local pressing or something. Maybe yeah, that's come what out it a sounds like. But yeah. uh, I saw the picture and couldn't believe it. An orange version of the crossing. So uh, <laughs> if you can find that misprint thing, that's certainly a, a cool collector's item. I also found it interesting that he talked about them really not wanting to show the band on the album, which is which is kind of interesting because usually when a new band comes out, you want that picture to be there at least somewhere. And I'm sure that obviously was on the record company's mind who eventually won out and got the picture on there. But um Right. I really like the way the picture was used. I I think it's perfect because, as he said, it was it was treated in a way that it was almost like a wood carving or something. It was it blends in beautifully with the feel of the of the artwork on the cover and throughout the rest of the album. So, I'm yeah, gl- I'm glad they used the picture of them and I'm glad they gave it that special artistic treatment and didn't just pop in a standard photo on the back. So, it yeah, it almost feels like a boy's own uh, picture. Yeah. With that black and white uh, illustrative feel. It does. It I does. love it. It's one of my favorite pictures of the band. Do you have a favorite Boys Own picture that was used in any of these uh, any of these? Oh, bits? gosh. Yes, I do. Um, and there, there's a couple. I, I have to pick two. And there's the one of, uh, I always imagine it as an inn by the coast. And you can see uh, outwards and there's a lighthouse in the far left in the distance out there in the, yeah. in the ocean. And I see it as some sort of inn. And also there's one of a guy standing outside beneath what looks to be some sort of avalanche or uh, stones crashing down along yes. with rain. Yes. I so, always loved that one too. Very evocative. So I would love to, to find out exactly where these came from and what were the stories that went along with them. That, that would be great. That would be the next challenge to find out the actual stories that, that these were uh, done around. And yeah. it's it's really interesting too that it's it sets the band apart in such a way. I mean, what other rock band was coming out putting out uh, art of inns and rustic countryside um, locations? And it, it says something about big country and and just how different they were to what was really the mainstream at the time. I mean, there were no rock and roll trappings about anything with with uh, their artwork and. Certainly with their music too, in a lot of in a lot of ways, but especially with the artwork. I mean, it was such a different take, and I think oh, that's yeah. what that's probably what appealed to a lot of us, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I came from the comic book side, and uh, I read comic books that looked like that. I still do, <laughs> but not quite like that, but in that style, uh, like Prince Valiant and a lot of the old ones that right. probably came out at the same time as these very pictures came out. So, um. Uh, yeah, definitely. They, they they fuel the imagination like 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 nothing else, really. Yeah, and it still it still stands strong today. And again, it's that that bigger than life feel that really fits the music. And another the last thing I'll say about this album sleeve is is what I what I will be saying throughout. I think it's important that something be a, a design really is able to grab your attention immediately from a distance. And that's just how I feel about a lot of these covers. And, I, and especially was back in the day when you could actually go in a record store and you would just something would grab your eye. And 
And this cover certainly does it. It's simple, but that logo and that compass, there's just something unique about it that really grabs you. And you can see it from from a distance. You can see it and make it out and, and know that it's big country. And it looks great on a T-shirt, too, you know, which is another another interesting uh, way to judge some of these things. So, right. yeah, it's it's definitely right up there for me in, in my favorite. Um, it, if we're going to do rankings at this point, I would rate this as number three for me. Uh, good. I would rate it as number two for me. Very cool. And uh, the thing is, as if we're talking the more the total package along with the boy zone and along with everything uh, in there, it may be a contender for number one. Since we're going to do the major studio albums, let's just jump right to Steel Town, which is, you know, the big one for a lot of us. Um, this is, I think, another great example of the art really mirroring the music. I mean, we've got and it was interesting to hear Julian talk about the propaganda aspects of the art, because I kind of always thought that, too. And um, it's just that kind of a style. And it was I'm, I'm very much a layman when it comes to knowing what uh, what styles of art are being represented in certain areas. But uh, that always kind of struck me. And it always reminded me of, of Days in Europa, the Skids album cover. It had that kind of feel to it, with especially with the, the man on the back sleeve and holding that sledgehammer and and everything. But yeah, but, I, I was actually thinking of Depeche Mode construction time again. Oh, no, see, I'm not even familiar with that. Yeah, and I was not familiar with the skids thing until years later. So there you go. But I see it definitely. Yeah, there's, just a, like, there's a theme there. Yeah, just like the big burly guy, you know, and the, and the colors. But the one thing I really love about this album cover and and the artwork around it is the color scheme. I think the color scheme is just fantastic. And and again, it it matches. It somehow matches the feel of the music. And and the album has always been a very much a fall album for me. I mean, an autumn album. It's just it just has that melancholy feel to it that you sometimes get when fall is coming and the leaves are changing. And th- this album has those colors. I don't even know when this album was released. I don't remember, but I, I think it was probably the fall, but I can't say for sure. But either way, the music feels like fall to me and the colors feel like fall to me. And it's the colors evoke that melancholy feel and that melancholy mood. And I especially love the hand on the front with kind of the glowing red uh, tints and highlights on it. Um, you know, you've got all the gears and everything else. Now, the one interesting thing about it is that they didn't really carry over the compass for this. We've got just the standard big country logo, but there's no compass. So that was quite right. interesting. Yeah, they kind of wiped the slate clean and a uh, new theme, you know, and it's pretty clear what the theme is. And uh, you are right. It was released on the 19th of October in the UK and Europe. And 29th of October in the United States. Uh, see, that's perfect because that's that's the it's an October album. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has those colors. And one thing that uh, I, I first bought it on a tape, and that tape was very orangey. Mm. But I saw some other versions of it, and it's not really an orange album. It's more a kind of dark mustard. 
uh, I don't know what the technical term for that color is, but it's more mustard than pure I orange. I think it's dark mustard. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, and it just fits it perfectly. And uh, I wasn't really that familiar with, uh, for some strange reason, old Scottish propaganda when I bought this. <laughs> so, right. so I never really thought of that. But uh, I, I can see what it is. And there's definitely like the, the worker men's tools and the, the sledgehammer and... You know, you stop short of, of the site, but uh, but still, you know, the metal metal pipes and the steel wheels. There, there's no denying what the inspiration for this was from. Yeah. And especially the picture inside the album sleeves, which contains pictures of the band taken in front of the steelworks in Corby in Northampton. Basically, Steel Town was all about the Scots that moved out of Scotland, and um, they moved out from shipbuilding to the steelworks in the Midlands. So uh, I've heard if you ever go to Corby, almost everybody there has a Scottish accent. So they moved there, and then in the 80s, they all shut down, and people got out of work, and there was a big social and economic crisis. And a lot of the songs come from that. Uh, so uh, I, I can't really profess to be really familiar with that situation i mostly read about it although when i was uh, you know in my teens and i heard this for the first time i was happily oblivious to those themes and we talked about this before in sort of wrapping up our first interview with bruce and he said why did people latch onto it and he mentioned the messages of the album and that had nothing to do with me latching onto it it was the music and it was uh, the guitar symphonies it was the intensity and just again the imagery right yeah, and same here. I mean, the whole joblessness thing and and the economic specific economic things that the album was about didn't didn't really um, have anything to do with my life at the time either. But still, those there there was a sense as you as you become a teenager as you're starting out there is that sense of melancholy and and starting to wonder what your place is in the world and where you're going to go and you you do become aware of injustices and if you're that kind of person who thinks about those types of things so. Even though the spe- the specificity of that wasn't the same, I think the overriding emotions were the same, and and maybe that's why it appealed to a lot of us too. But getting back to the artwork, I think the um, it is interesting to me that I've only noticed recently that one of the things that did kind of carry over a very minor detail between the crossing and Steel Town is if you look at the words "the crossing" on the cover of that album, the T is uh, is taller typeface and the final g of cross of the crossing is a larger typeface and they did that on steel town too which is kind of interesting it's like the s is larger and the n is larger so that was kind of cool i think that those are the only two albums that they did that on but that was a little bit of a carryover of the same uh artistic design but um yeah i, I love that photo and the i'm looking at the remastered sleeve right now and i'm not sure what was actually on the album sleeve but um, I do love that photo in the in the very middle of the sleeve. And if they would have chosen to go for a band photo as the cover, I think that would have been a great cover too. But I I mean I'm the, what they came up with is perfect, and I love what they what they've done. But uh, that's a great shot too of of them standing in front of that industrial complex and um you know they just Bruce and Stewart in the suspenders and it just I don't know there's something about that that just really works for me. It's it's a great yeah. shot. And we yeah, got a little bit of, we got a little bit of a story about that too from Julian when when we interviewed him so that was cool. Oh definitely. And uh, what those photos did for me was actually uh drive home that this was not just uh, some artwork done for the front. They were actually standing in front of a real live steel town. 
and uh, you, you got the sense that this was actually about something real. It wasn't uh, an adventure story. So a lot of the things on the crossing, uh, in my mind, they were cool adventure stories. And with Steel Town, you got the sense that this is more real. There is something more behind it. Yeah. And uh, that was largely because the photos that uh, accompanied the sleeve. So it was, again, a total package that uh, gave impressions and fueled the music. When we talk about Steel Town and its commercial failure in some respects, um, you've you got to wonder, too, in, in one sense, the artwork, as much as I love it and as much as we who love the album love it, it's still kind of an it's kind of an odd um, design in the sense when you when you put it up against what we would say would be like mainstream acts releasing things at the time, you know. So you're wondering would would someone who is just mildly interested in Big Country, the first Big Country album, what would they see? Would would they be taken by something with a hand and gears and a and smokestacks on it? What would they think of that unless they were like really interested in big country to begin with because it's, it's not again it's not the typical rock and roll type of image that's being portrayed here which i love because it's once again showing big country to be something very different and setting out to be something very different from their peers at the time but i think you can see in in this that even the the, the density of the mix was really uh, matched by the density of the lyrics and the themes that were being talked about and then this artwork too it's like it's it fits the music perfectly. It's awesome. It's great. But for the casual fan, I could see them kind of looking at that and wondering, you know, what's that? You know, a hand with with a, on a gear. Maybe not appealing to them. I mean, even even the color scheme really isn't something that you see much with album releases. You know, brown and gray and and dark uh, dark blues and things like that. So I do know that back in those days album art was a lot more important than it is these days because you walk into a record store and some people made purchases based on covers of albums without even knowing what the music was. So I don't know. I think it's just an interesting choice and a, and a perfect choice from the, from an artistic perspective, but from a commercial perspective, maybe it kind of mirrors the music a little bit because, you know, we're always saying that at least I've always been saying that the music in that album asked too much of the casual listener and a lot of people just weren't willing to put in the effort to to grasp the music of this album because it was so there was so much going on, and maybe that kind of carries over to the album cover a little bit too. I mean, it's it's kind of not your traditional rock and roll album cover that you're gonna just look at and say, "Oh wow, that's so cool, that's awesome." You know what <laughs> it's I mean? A, it's a pretty striking cover. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you can compare it with your average rock and roll cover. Uh, if you look more at the the mainstream things, um, there's a tradition, at least in Britain, of putting the kind of sterile and maybe factory-like uh, album sleeve. You know, going back to the 70s, where Pink Floyd put out Animals, which is just a factory pipes, mm. and you have people like the Pesh Mode putting out almost sterile factory pipes on, I think, some great reward or what it was. And you have uh, various other bands. So if anything, uh, the cover is of its time, but you wouldn't get a lot of rock bands doing it. It was more the, the more either progressive or synth-driven bands that uh, tried to go for that sort of almost clinical and factory and metal steel type uh yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. So, so I can see how 
maybe the cover didn't sell the exact type of music, but as a cover, it's striking. It is striking. And again, this is another one that I, I think looks great from a distance. I mean, you can you can look at it and you, you that hand on the gear and even the back cover really grabs you immediately. And um, yeah, the color is extremely unusual. It is very much no, so. I, I can count on one finger how many albums I can think of with that color. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I can't even think of one offhand. So actually, I can think of one. And again, this is the third Depeche Mode album. I will think Music for the Masses uses that must orangey, uh, mustardy color scheme. Oh, fantastic! That's two. All right, good. Well, I still I still have the one finger up, which is Steel Town. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, don't know others. I hope it's not your middle finger. Well, it might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I am holding up the middle finger on every podcast during the duration of all of your comments. Perfect. <laughs> all right, so that's Steel Town. Um, what do you rank this for yourself? It's my number one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too, and and I can't deny that that's influenced by the fact that it's my number one album too. But I really do think it's an amazing piece of artwork as well. So, yeah, definitely. And uh, and how cool wasn't it to see the BBC box set with the art card? How uh, they used the back motif for Steel Town, not the actual front design. Yeah, that so was interesting. Yeah, so it's actually the guy, and I think that's the first time we have seen the full picture of that guy. The yeah. Full I think um, the big square rectangular uh, on one card. So I just look at that and wow. And those cards generally blew me away. Okay, guys, that's going to have to wrap it up for episode 24 of the Great Divide podcast, part one of our discussion of Big Country's album covers throughout the years. We'll pick this up where we left off next time with The Seer. We're going to go all the way through the journey and should be interesting hopefully and hopefully you found julian Baum's interview interesting as interesting as we found it and we really want to thank julian for taking the time to do that for us it was just really uh, an insightful conversation from our standpoint and hopefully from yours too and judging from the, the response we got pre-interview as far as the excitement level that that people had that we were talking to him i think you guys probably enjoyed it as much as we did so thanks to julian for doing that thanks to all of you guys for helping us find him I don't think uh, anyone has ever really approached these subjects before about big country's artwork, in especially in the early days. I don't think these things have ever really been discussed before in relation to big country. So it's fantastic to finally be able to put a name to this artwork that means so much to so many of us and to hear a few insights as to how a lot of that was created. So maybe we can have another conversation with Julian down the road. Hopefully he'd, he'd be up for it, and uh, I know a lot of you guys would be up for that too. So we'll see. So in the meantime, we will be back next time with episode 25. I guess that will be kind of a milestone podcast for us. So, you know, we've already recorded it, and I didn't really think about it until now. But, yeah, it, it'll be the 25th, uh, 25th episode, so that's a big deal. So thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. As always, you can get in touch with us through email at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for The Great Divide Podcast. Listen to us through iTunes, or uh, you can listen to us through bigcountrypodcast.com. And thanks again, as always, to John Govea for, for doing such a great job on that site, keeping us going online. We really appreciate that, too. I hope you guys enjoy the show, and we will be back next time. On behalf of Spine, this is Tom, signing off. No, no.